0: Amen. 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 Good evening. Pray you're doing well on this kind of cool and wet week that we're having. But uh, we know that it brings green grass and flowers and uh, greening everything up. And it's a blessing, the moisture that we're getting this week. But I do pray that you're well and, and so glad you can join us for tonight's teaching as we will be in Ezekiel chapter 25. If you'll turn there. We're going to get right into our study, but I want to remind you that this Sunday we will be in Matthew, continuing as we're going to travel into chapter 19. And it's going to be a section that's going to be dealing with marriage and divorce and remarriage. So a very important study that we'll be in on Sunday, 8, 9, thirty, eleven o'clock. And we are looking forward to once again when we meet on Sunday. Also, just want to, we'll have it in the e-bulletin, but uh, just let the guys know that next month, May 21st and 22nd, that's on a Friday evening and a Saturday, there is a regional men's conference uh, that Nick Katy is going to host in Longmont, Whitefields Community Church. And so um, that information will be posted. So look at your calendar and, and maybe something, guys, that you are interested in. Uh, going to and I'll be teaching a morning session and uh, we'll get that information uh, for you if the Lord leads you to do that and uh, where to register if you do want to go to that men's conference. So other things that are taking place here at Calvary Chapel look at your e-bulletin and has all the information for you but you should be in Ezekiel chapter 25 as we begin there at the top of the chapter. Father we do pray that you would just bless this time as we continue going through this incredible book of Ezekiel, and even though it was written 2,500 years ago, Lord, there's something here for us today, and as we look at these proclamations against the nations that, Lord, we can learn from this. And uh, we know that your kingdom is the kingdom that will last forever, that man's nations are going to go away eventually, and we know that, Lord, we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. I pray that you take your word and touch our hearts with it, and not only looking at it historically and the implications of what was going on, but, Lord, that we would make application for us today, that There'd be uh, that teaching, admonition, in the Lord uh, for us to, Lord, look to you and to humble ourselves and follow after you. So, Lord, uh, we give you this time to study of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've entered into this section of Ezekiel chapters 25 through 32 where we're going to see that there's a series of proclamations, that is judgments, that are going to come against the neighboring countries of Judah. We saw the same thing as we traveled through those chapters of Isaiah and chapters 13 through 23 of Isaiah, and then in chapter 24 of Isaiah, it talks about judgment against the earth. We do know that there will be judgment that will be poured out on a Christ-rejected world in that final seven-year period called the tribulation period, right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then in the book of Jeremiah, in the end of the book, in chapters 46 through 51, there was a proclamation against the nations as well in the last two chapters of that section chapters 50 and 51 which were very long chapters dealt with the judgment against Babylon and also it had in time implications as well so we we looked at that now as we see it in Ezekiel in chapters 25 through 32, it's interesting that there's really not going to be uh, a proclamation against Babylon. And of course, Ezekiel is in captivity during this time. Uh, He's in Babylon. He's speaking to Judah that has rejected the Lord. And particularly, he's speaking about Jerusalem that is going to be destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. That happened in 586 B.C. But there's no real proclamation against Babylon. The only mention really in this section is Babylon defeating the Egyptians. But there's a lot of emphasis on Egypt. There's a lot of emphasis on Tyre as we're going to see as well. So Ezekiel taking a little bit different uh, look at this, inspired by the Spirit of God. But we do read in chapter 25, this proclamation against Ammon. The word of the Lord came to me, saying in verse 1 of the chapter, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God because you said, Aha, against my sanctuary when it was profane, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. Verse 4, Indeed, therefore I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east, that is, speaking of Babylon, and they will set their encampments among you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. And I will make Rabbah a Stable for camels, and Ammon, a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced in in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel, verse 7, Indeed, therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples. I will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. We see that phrase over and over again, repeatedly, In Ezekiel, that as the Lord is working, as even in the judgment that he's bringing to Judah and the other nations, that they may know that I am the Lord, that I am the one that is in control. I am the one that is Almighty God. And we, we know that in this proclamation against the Ammonites, that the Ammonites located, as many of you know, just east of the Jordan River, Uh, in modern-day Jordan today, where uh, the Jabbok River is, and then northwards from there. And we know that it was that area, the River Jabbok, where Jacob wrestled with God, uh, just north of Mount Nebo, where, where Moses was buried. And the Ammonites would come through Lot's daughters. You go back to the book of Genesis, and the Ammonites had no love for Israel. And the peoples we read here, would of Ammon rejoice when the city of Jerusalem fell to Babylon. And the people were, of course, taken off into captivity. But I want to remind us, as we do look at the historical implications of this, uh, that there is application for us today. And one of the things that it reminds us is they would rejoice over the fall of God's people and the captivity that they were in that you and I, we will never benefit by trying to build ourselves up by putting others down, rejoicing in their failures, their falls, and their defeats. And sometimes that can happen. Maybe a, a brother or sister falls. We should grieve by that. We shouldn't rejoice in that, and that serves them right, and I didn't like them anyway but that we should be ones uh, that we are to be praying for them, uh, not rejoicing over uh, the failures and falls and defeats that they go through in life. And remember that it was Jesus that said, the measure you judge, you will be judged, Uh, it will be given back to you. And if you and I or any of us are constantly putting people down, then we're going to end up being put down. If we're ones that are pointing the finger at others and rejoicing in their shortcomings and failures and focusing on that, then we're going to have fingers that are going to be pointing back at us as well. So verse 8, now the proclamation against Moab, thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, Look, the house of Judah is like all the nations. Therefore, behold, I will clear the territory of Moab of cities, and the cities of, uh, of its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth Shemamoth, Baal Meon, and Kirjef Jerim. Verse 10, to the men of the east, I will give it as possession together with the Ammonites, that the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgment upon Moab, that they shall know that I am the Lord. So Moab was south of Ammon, again on the east side of the Jordan River, where Mount Nebo is. Matter of fact, when you leave Jerusalem, you go down to the Jordan Valley. And right there, uh, as you get ready to go towards the Dead Sea, You can look over and you can see Mount Nebo there. And uh, also we know that Moab, uh, the Moabites, that's where Ruth came from. And matter of fact, uh, from the suburbs of Jerusalem, uh, you can uh, see over into that area where Moab was. And, And so everything's fairly close. But they enjoyed seeing the Jews put down. And they were declaring that the God of Israel was no different than any other gods. And God here says, I'm going to execute judgment, that they shall know that that I am the Lord. There is no other gods. All the other gods are false gods. And today there are many people that... Are around us, and maybe perhaps you talk to them. They're linked to you in your life—family members, or uh, coworkers, or old friends, or neighbors, whoever they might be—that they think that our God, that we believe in, is like any other God. That it doesn't really matter, you know, what we believe, because God uh, can be, you know, worshipped in different ways, and there's different paths to God, and all of this. That is a very popular. View today in our culture, a pluralistic view that there are many gods or many ways to God, many paths to heaven. And we know that as we read God's word very carefully, that there is only one God, one true God, and that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know that Isaiah would declare that there's one God, there's no other God beside me, and our God that we believe in, the true and the living God is from everlasting to everlasting. So that's a clear message of the Bible, and that needs to be a clear message that we give to others, that, listen, there's only one true God. All the other gods are false gods, and we need to declare that He is the way, Jesus Christ, to the Father um, and to forgiveness of sin, that He died on the cross for our sins, And that he is the way to salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in verses 12 through 14, we have this proclamation against Edom. And we read in verse 12, thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah, by taking vengeance and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, and cut off man and beast from it, and make it desolate from Teman, the Dan that's down by Saudi Arabia, shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury. And they shall know my vengeance, says the Lord God. So Edom was south of Moab, south of the Dead Sea, east of the Dead Sea. Again, in that area where Jordan is, uh, they, they, the descendants of Esau were the Edomites. Uh, Esau, of course, being the brother of Jacob. And the Edomites would take any chance they got to defeat Israel and they ended up siding with Babylon in 588 BC to defeat Judah, to, to come against Jerusalem. And they showed the attitude of their father Esau. There speaks here of bitterness, and they would manifest it in their actions towards Israel. And again, as we make application for ourselves, are we bitter towards others? Uh, are we bitter towards a brother or sister? And it's manifested in our actions and in our words. To others, and uh, we need to make sure, even as Hebrew says, that don't let that root of bitterness you know uh, begin to spread, that we need to when we become bitter, to give it to the Lord. And ask the Lord to help us in those times that we become angry or bitter towards others. And in verse 15, now this last proclamation in this chapter, thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred, or that is the perpetual hatred that they had towards God's people. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, and I will cut off the and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. And I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. So that's proclamation against the Philistines. Of course, we read a lot about the Philistines, particularly in first and Second Samuel during the time of Saul, during the time of David, and David would defeat the Philistines. They occupied that area along the coast of the Mediterranean, Uh, in that area today that's called the Gaza Strip, and they were defeated, um, and they wanted vengeance. And as we consider this, vengeance isn't going to come, Um, but the Lord says, my vengeance is upon them. And we need to keep in mind when we want to be vengeful towards others, that the Lord says, "Vengeance is my saith the Lord." and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday when it came to this whole area of and principle forgiving others, and sometimes we want to dig in our heels, we don't want to be forgiving, we want to be Bitter, we want to continue in our anger, and we want to be vengeful. And the Lord says to you and to me, "Vengeance is mine," saith the Lord. And as I mentioned on Sunday, the reason is is because we can't really handle it. And and the Lord says, "I can handle it." And when we give it to the Lord, we say, "Lord, you are big enough and powerful enough to be able to deal with their sin or the situation uh, where I want to be vengeful." And, and Lord, you are the one that you protect me, you protect my family, you protect whatever, and, Lord, you help me to keep my eyes on you, and you deal with the matter. And that's a good place to put it into the hands of the Lord. And now, chapter 26, we see this proclamation that will continue into chapter 28, actually, uh, this uh, proclamation that is against Tyre, and we read in verse 1, that it came to pass in the eleventh year on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, "Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, same thing that was done with um, with the Ammonites, saying Aha you know uh, it 's a mocking kind of word, and she is broken who has who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall be filled. She has laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. So we can picture that, uh, this illustration of waves coming up and crashing against the shores. But Tyre was rejoicing over the destruction of Jerusalem Uh, Not so much out of hate, but more out of greed. Because Tyre was actually, uh, during the time of David and Solomon, was allies with Israel. And we've talked about that, how David and Solomon made a covenant with the king of Tyre. David witnessed to him. They would bring the cedar logs from Tyre and Sidon down the coast to Joppa. And then up to Jerusalem where Solomon would build the temple with those cedar logs. And, And so there was a closeness that was there. And they would turn eventually in their history. Remember that this is about 500 years, 450, 500 years after the time that the temple is built, probably about more like 400 years. And they turned against Israel at this point in their history. And, and the reason was is because Israel geographically uh, is in a very interesting place. It, it sits kind of between uh, the uh, way up to to Europe, to Asia, and to Northern Africa. And it was a major trade route. They would go through the Jordan Valley, uh, close to Jerusalem, and they would have caravans that would come through there. Now, Tyre was a major port city to the north of Israel. And you see that even in the Book of Acts. And goods would come into that port of Tyre, and they would be unloaded or goods would come up to the ships entire Tyre. And those ships would travel in the Mediterranean to Northern Africa, up into Europe, up into Asia. But any of those caravans that are bringing goods to the ships or the ships unloaded and the caravans are coming out to take uh, the goods somewhere else, they would be transported. They would be uh, you know, taken to where Judah, to the south of them, and a major trade route there would tax the caravans and the people with the goods. And now with Judah out of the way, they would export their goods tax-free. They wouldn't be taxed. So they would gain financially. And as we look at this, the question that we can ask, do we rejoice over others' misfortune? That they, you know, uh, have misfortune that we might gain, even in ministry, that we need to be careful of, you know, that church has folded... You know, the, the thing is, is there's been a number of churches that didn't make it through this COVID, and we don't rejoice over that. We don't say, well, you know, we're going to gain from it in a way that uh, we're not being sympathetic or uh, we're not, you know, thinking of others. That churches have really gone through some struggles and difficult times all across the country. And all over the world, matter of fact, talking to a missionary in South America that they haven't been able to meet, and, and they have really kind of struggling. The ties dry up. And we never want to rejoice over that. We never want to rejoice at someone's failure or misfortune. That we get to gain from it or whatever we think we're going to gain from it. Um, But uh, here they were rejoicing because Judah, the taxing was out of the way. Uh, But we're going to see that, that Tyre kind of had an interesting history. Let's begin to consider that in verse 4, And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God, it shall become plunder for the nations. Also her daughter villages which are in the field shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord." For thus says the Lord God, behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and an army and with many people. Verse 8, he will slay with the sword your daughter's villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mount against you, build a wall against you and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons, and the chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. Verse 11, with the hoods of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. And they will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, your soil in the midst of water. And I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and to the sound of harps shall be heard no more. And I will make you like the top of a rock... You shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, has spoken, says the Lord. So Tyre's had an interesting history. In 588 B.C., uh, right when Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to siege Jerusalem, but Nebuchadnezzar would uh, turn from going to Egypt, and he went to destroy Tyre. And they sieged the city for, for several years, and when they broke through the walls there was nothing for them, um, for them to pillar, the spoils. There was no one there. And so they tore down the buildings, the houses here, as it mentions here, as they entered into the city, uh, and they tore the whole city apart, you know, um, tearing the place down. And what had happened was entire the residents, what they did is they moved to an island off, you know, the coast there. They moved all their stuff. And so they were half a mile offshore, and Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get to them. He couldn't have the troops swim a half a mile to go get them on this island. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave up, even though he destroyed the city. Well, about 250 years later, Alexander the Great, the the great Grecian king. And remember, uh, we will see this in Daniel's study, that uh, Babylon would be replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire. Being replaced by the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, he comes along and he took the rubble from the first Tyre that was torn down by the Babylonians. And he ended up building this causeway out to the island. And then he would destroy the city. Now, Tyre became a city once again. And later on in its history, conquered by the Crusaders and 1290 A.D., then conquered later by the Muslims. Today, Tyre is a small fishing village, and the people use the causeway uh, to fish off of and dry their nets. And we see that in verse 5, it was spoken of. And what we just read in verse 14. So, an interesting history that Tyre has had. But in verse 15, thus says the Lord God to Tyre Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea will come down from the thrones and lay aside their robes and take off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling, they will sit on the ground tremble every moment and be astonished at you and they will take up a lamentation for you and say to you how you have perished o one inhabited by seafaring men o renowned city who was strong at sea she and her inhabitants who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall yes the coastlands by the sea are troubled at your departure so the coastal neighbors attire who depended on their success in Port City for their trade, they're mourning over the destruction of the city because they've lost their wealth. And sometimes, you know, we place our hope and joy in that which gives us financial gain, that gives us wealth. We put it in the stock market, and in the investments, or whatever the case may be. And what we are to do is ultimately we can be thankful for that when God blesses, because every good gift comes from above. But to remember this, that we as Christians are the most wealthy people that are on this earth because we have a heavenly inheritance. And there is nothing in this world that is worth putting priority over what we should be prioritizing, and that is storing up our treasures in heaven. And that is that we desire to invest in the kingdom because those rewards will be eternal. And that's why Jesus said that store up your treasures in heaven. Not here on earth where rust destroys and thieves break in and steal and moths come and eat. Uh, Everything in this world is going to come to an end. But store up your treasures in heaven. And you might be listening tonight thinking, well, I don't have hardly any money. At the end of the month, we can barely make it. But you're still wealthy. So we need to keep a proper perspective on things. And if God has blessed you financially, uh, then be thankful. But don't, you know, uh, be one that you prioritize those things but you are to use those things for the furtherance of the kingdom and be thankful and how God has provided. And our joy is not in things. Our joy is in the Lord always. So good reminder in verse 19, for thus says the Lord God, when I make you a desolate city like cities that are not inhabited, and when I bring the deep upon you and great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who descend into the pit to... Uh, The people of old and I will make you dwell in the lowest part of the earth in places desolate from iniquity um, and with those who go down to the pit so that you may never be inhabited and I shall establish glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror and you shall be no more though you are sought for. You will never be found again, says the Lord God. So their fate will be like the sea that's engulfing them, the, the sea, the ocean has a lot of power. I remember it was older. I was older in my 20s when I first saw an ocean. And I remember one of the things that just really, uh, I I remember the vivid, just seeing ocean, how vast as far as you can see, but also the power of the water, the waves coming in, uh, that just really stuck with me. And so a lot of power in the sea, a lot of power in the waves, And it's going to bring you down to the pit, to Sheol. Sheol, or Hades, a place of the unrighteous dead who are outside of faith. And now chapter 27, continuing this lamentation against Tyre and this prophecy against them. uh, This is going to be a lament for the city. And it is also written in poetic fashion, portraying this city as a beautiful and strong ship that becomes shipwrecked in a storm and verses 1 through 9 describes the beauty of the ship. Verses 10 through 25 speaks of the nations who traded merchandise with them and then the end of the chapter describes Tyre uh, being as shipwrecked. And so let's begin to look at it in verse 1. The word of the Lord came again to me saying now son of man take up a lamentation for Tyre. Of course a lamentation is a lament, a weeping. And say to Tyre, you are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchants of the people on many coastland. thus says the Lord God. So we really see that these two verses, um, it is written when Tyre hasn't been destroyed yet. And it, it would be later that Babylon attempted to do that. And then later on, Alexander the Great completed the task. And then, again, later in their history, uh, after, you know, the Crusaders and the Muslims came in and destroyed the city. But in verse 3, we read, And said to Tyre, you are situated at the entrance of the sea, as we read that. Merchants of the peoples of many coastlands, says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sennar. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make you a mask of oaks from Bashan. They have made your oars, company as Asherites, have inlaid your planks with ivory from the coast of Cyprus. Verse 7, fine embroidered linen from Egypt was what you spread for your sail. Blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was what covered you. So Tyre was like a beautiful ship. Outwardly, they seemed so successful and strong. But the one thing that they had as well was self-reliance and pride. And we have seen in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, we're seeing it here in Ezekiel, that one of the things that is mentioned concerning these proclamations against the nations That they seemed very strong. They seemed together. They thought that nothing was going to happen to them. So there was a lot of pride. And God would bring them down. And we know that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs tells us. Also Proverbs chapter 26 verse 12 declares. A man wise in his own eyes. um, There is more hope for a fool than for him. So you don't want to become. I don't want to become arrogant, wise in her own eyes, you know, becoming prideful. I'm going to do things my way. Nothing's going to happen to me. But always that humility before the Lord and the dependency upon the Lord. And pride will keep us if we go uh, and allow pride to, and I think pride is something that we have to Constantly, just be aware of and be like David that says, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Lord, search my heart because it keeps us from hearing from God. And Jeremiah spoke about that, Johanna in chapter 43. And all the proud men said, Do you speak falsely, Jeremiah? Um, It causes us to rebel against God and go our own own direction. And Isaiah and Ezekiel, as we will see next time in chapter 28, that they spoke of Satan. And we will see it in chapter 28 that uh, Satan is spoken of here. And it was... Pride that led Satan to say, I will rebel against the Lord. So pride is a very terrible sin. And it causes us to not hear from the Lord, not see things clearly, and to rebel against the Lord if we continue in it. And it will end up in leading to a fall and destruction, as the Bible says. But as we read in verse 8, Inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your oarsmen's. Your wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They became your pilots. Elders of Gebel and its wise men were in you to caulk your seams. All the ships of the sea and all their oarsmen were in you to market your merchandise. Those from Persia, that is over today called Iran, Lydia, and uh, Libya, and uh, you were your army as men of war, and hung shields and helmet in you. They gave splendor to you, men of Arvad. Uh, with your army were on your walls and all around, and men of Gammad were in your towers, and they hung their shields and on your walls all around, and made your beauty. Perfect. So uh, there were those who were there to fix the boats. Uh, they thought that, you know, that's all we need. The people of Tyre were sailors. They were, they were not warriors. And so they would hire the best mercen- mercenary army that money could buy to protect them and their wealth. We continue in verse 12. Tarshus was your uh, merchant uh, because of your many luxury goods. Tarsus was up in that area of Spain. Uh, and they gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. Javan, Tubal, Meshach were your traders. They battered human lives and, and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Those from the house of Tugarma traded for your wares with horses, steed, and mules. The man of Dedan, as down in the south toward Saudi Arabia were your traders. Many isles were the market of your hand. They brought you ivory tusk and ebony as payment. Syria was your merchant, verse 16, because of the abundance of goods you made. They gave you for your wares and emeralds and purple and embroidery, fine linen, corals and rubies. Judah and the land of Israel were your traders. They traded for your merchandise, wheat and minneth and millet and honey, oil and balm. In verse 18, Damascus is mentioned was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made because of your many luxury items and the wine of Helban and with white wool. Dan and Javan paid for your wares, traversing back and forth. Wrought iron, Cassa and cane were among your merchandise. Again, the Dan is mentioned as your merchant in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your regular merchants. They trade it with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba, this is all in that area of the Middle East. Uh, uh, Rama were your merchants. They trade it with your wares, the choices, spices, all kinds of precious stones and gold. And here we see more are mentioned in verse 23 in Sheba, Assyria, and Edom, and and, um, the the. Chel mad were your merchants, and these were your merchants in choice items and purple clothes and embroidered garments and chests of multicolored apparel. That was very much luxury um, to have multicolored clothing and sturdy woven cords, which were your marketplace. And the ships of Tarshish were carriers of your merchandise. You were filled with very glorious in the midst of the sea. So, here it's just speaking of lots of customers, lots of allies. All over, you know, um, the, the you know, Asia Minor, all over the Middle East uh, in those areas, they traded with them. They carried luxury items. Everything seemed to go so well. They are such an important place when it comes to luxury items and uh, merchandising and selling and and exporting and importing and all of this. But then in verse 26, your oarsmen brought you into many waters, but the east wind broke you in the midst of the seas. And the east wind's probably speaking of Babylon because we've seen Babylon likened to east wind. And it was violent, and it breaks up the ship. Verse 27, your riches, wares, and merchandise, your mariners and pilots, your caulkers and merchandisers, all your men of war who in, uh, in you, uh, those mercenaries that were supposed to protect them, and the entire company which is in your midst will fall in the midst of the sea in the day of your ruin. So, um, you know, uh, they felt so safe, so secure, but the sea would become her graveyard. And in verse 28, The common land will shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. All who handle the oar, the mariners, the pilots of sea, will come down from their ships and stand on the shore. They will make their voice heard because of you. They will cry bitterly and cast dust on their heads. And they will roar about in ashes. They will shave themselves completely bald because of you. Gird themselves with sackcloth. That is a sign of, of mourning, and weep for you, in bitterness of heart, and bitter wailing. And they're wailing for you. They will take up a lamentation, a lament for you. What city is like Tyre, destroyed in the midst of the sea? So all the nations and people that prospered because of Tyre are going to mourn for her death. No more luxury items. And then as we finish up the chapter, when your wares went out by sea, you satisfied many people. You enriched the kings of the earth with your many luxury goods, with your merchandise. But you are broken by the seas and the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and the entire company will fall in your midst. All the inhabitants of the isles will uh, will be astonished at you. Their kings will greatly afraid and their countenance be troubled. The merchants among the peoples will hiss at you. You'll become a horror, and no more forever. Isn't this interesting? Because as God is speaking of complete destruction of Tyre, it will not rise again. And again, as I mentioned, Tyre has not risen again like it was. It's just a small fishing village. But I think that as we read this, and, and maybe as you were reading it with me, that it reminded you of what is going to come at the end of the tribulation period, that proclamation against uh, Babylon, commercial Babylon in chapter 18, that when Babylon, commercial Babylon and all the luxury items and, and uh, you know, the kings of the earth are going to mourn, the world's going to mourn to see the destruction of Babylon. That's what it reminds me of. And it reminds us once again that the nations of the world and the, the world system is going to come to an end. And that's what Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, you're the head of gold, but you are going to go down. And the Medo-Persians, you know, are going to replace you. And he goes through that, you know, the empires that will come on the scene. Babylon, uh, uh, Medo-Persian Empire, Grecian Empire, the Romans during the time of Jesus. And then in the last days, this revived Roman Empire. And this leader that will come out of that revised Roman Empire... But eventually it will all be destroyed and put down. And then the kingdom of God will come. And that's the rock that hits the image there in Daniel chapter 2. But here's the thing to remember. That once again as we read this, it reminds us and it's a picture of what is yet future. But you and I can rejoice because we have the Lord. We can rejoice in him. That he has a plan. He's on the throne. And that we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever, and that we want to remain humble to the Lord, keep our eyes on him It's so important in the days in which we were in to keep our eyes on him and um, and and to look for him, the return of the Lord, and to know that he is going to come and set things right and, and man 's ways is going to come to an end, so we don 't put our trust in men, we don 't put our trust in a person we don 't put our trust that is ultimate trust and man's system, but we put our trust in the Lord. So, Father, we thank you so much for these reminders and lessons that are given to us here. And as we read these chapters, these lamentations, uh, and and all of this, that, Lord, we know that the world system is going to come to an end, but, Lord, uh, we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. So, Lord, we're pilgrims passing through, And we do want to be light. We want to give people hope. And our hope is not this world. And we don't want to become prideful, self-reliant. We don't want to rejoice just in things. We rejoice in our salvation in you. So, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Um, Help us to, Lord, uh, just uh, be ones that, um, Lord, that we have a message, uh, a very important message to give to others of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we wait for your kingdom to come and be established. But, Lord, uh, as we're in this world, to be good stewards of what you've given to us, to continue to invest in the kingdom, and, Lord, to uh, Lord, live for you. Uh, that's where our joy is, uh, the joy of the Lord, and knowing that our fullness of joy, even as David discovered 3,000 years ago and would write, that, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. So thank you for today. I pray bless everyone here. Looking forward to when we meet again on Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on Sunday, hopefully.